you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Now remember that this whole chapter 4 is the life of Abraham. And so the context of it is his life. And as we finish up chapter 4 now, we see this conclusion of this man with absolutely unbelievable, astounding faith. Faith that I pray one day, I, I can say I have the faith of Abraham. And, and, I, and I would pray that you would pray that same prayer. And as we dig into it tonight, I hope we can do it justice. Because when you read these first words in verse 18, who, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. Man, it is hard to have that kind of faith, isn't it? When everything within you is telling you A, but you know God wants you to do B, it is hard to do B because A is yelling at you. It's like, man, it's 10,000 miles. It's this many dollars. It's if I quit this job. God, really, are you going to heal me of cancer? Can you really touch my kids? Can you save my marriage? Because A is telling me you can't. But B is telling me you want to. And so tonight, the astounding faith of Abraham. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the reality of faith. Lord, and how we need our faith to grow. It's a thing that you, Jesus, prayed for your disciples. Not that they'd be saved from the persecution or from the world, but that they would have more faith. Because faith truly does still move mountains. Faith still is the answer to the things that uh, confront us on a daily basis that we don't understand and can do nothing about. Lord, faith in you the Lord of heaven, the king of this earth, the one who was and is and is to come. And so tonight, Jesus, speak to us through your word, authored by the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit inspiring. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's finish up chapter 4 tonight, shall we? And it says there in verse 18 of Romans 4, who, and remember, just look back through the chapter, you'll see Abraham. It's a picture of him who, so Abraham is in view, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. And so immediately you begin to see the context. This is an impossibility humanly. When this is spoken to Abraham, There is no way on this earth that he could see a way from point A to point B. He's looking at it going, (laughs) it can't happen. But at the same time, trusting that God is the God of the impossible, exactly as Luke's gospel declares, is anything too hard for God? The answer is no, nothing is too hard for God. And so Abraham being this example of this kind of faith, But according to what was spoken, and it quotes then the original Abrahamic covenant, and so your descendant shall be the father of many nations. He's saying, look, from you is going to be birthed, in essence, the children of grace. As Abraham is the father of the Jewish people, he's the beginning of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, amen, from whom comes Israel, and from Israel comes Messiah, from Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know exactly as Matthew records for us, as they're sitting there in Caesarea Philippi, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're a prophet, and some say you're one of those who came to speak to us. And Peter, who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, Simon, Barjona, <laughs> flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. you. You see, the whole of Scripture, from a human perspective, 
is not the story of man doing lots of fantastic things. It's the story of God doing the impossible. In spite of the attempts of man to mess it up, which we're pretty good at messing up God's things, amen? And he goes on, verse 19. And not being weak in faith, now I want you to notice something. There's a difference between being weak in faith and not having any. A lot of people think that weakness is not having faith. Weak faith is still faith. You want to have strong faith, but weak faith is better than no faith because the just shall live by faith. We've already seen that. He did not consider his own body. In other words, he didn't look at things from just a simple pragmatic view. He didn't look at it just from the human side because if he had considered his own body, it ain't going to happen. Already being dead since he was about 100 years old. I'm not sure I really like that. And so if you get around 100 years, you're already already dead. Just give up. But the truth of the matter is you don't expect a lot of virility out of someone who's 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. And so it's not just that he's near death. She's near death. So it was bad enough for him. Now add her in, it gets worse. And I love how God often puts us in situations where he doubles the impossibility factor. He actually allows things in our lives where he has purposely built in something that we look at and we go, there is no way in the world God can do this. Because it leaves us trusting in him. It's a place where we can grow. It's a place where you and I can express our faith. One thing to have it, it's another thing to use it, amen? He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And the he there, probably in your Bible, if it's a King James, New King James, it's capitalized, because the he in view there is God, not Abraham. What God has promised, because it was God that made the promise, amen? It wasn't conditioned on Abraham being worthy of it. It was conditioned that God said, I am going to bless you and I'm going to make you the father of the multitude. I'm going to make you the father of the nations. That was on God. God has promised you things that are fully on God. Chief among them is salvation, amen? For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself is a gift. God gives you the gift of faith with which you believe you receive his grace and you're saved. Has zero to do with your worthiness. Has zero to do with your work. It is neither of those two things. It's a gift and God gives it to you. God is able. What he promises, he is also able to perform. And notice the condition there. There isn't one. Doesn't say that, you know, God promises and, well, he's able to do most of the time unless you mess it up. This is the actions of a holy, sovereign God. One who says, I'm going to work with you, Jeff. In spite of God at times, God works miraculously in our lives. And sometimes he he has a plan and he puts those things forth and we, we don't do them. And all of a sudden you're looking at it and you think you've messed up God's plans, but you really haven't because he's still God. Sometimes we look at it as though he's not going to keep that promise. And I'm sure that Abraham was in that place. It's in spite of us. And therefore it was accounted to him as righteousness. And that was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. The imputation of that righteousness. In other words, it was placed. Remember, it was taken from Jesus' account and placed in your account. And your sin was taken out of your account and placed on Jesus. And Jesus paid the price for it, fully satisfying God the Father. The imputation of righteousness, something you did not have, 
Therefore, that was imputed. It was accounted. It was put in your account, my account. God did it not because you're good, but because Christ is perfect. Perfect sacrifice. Perfect Lamb of God. It wasn't written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So this incredible picture of exactly one thing. The amazing faith, the astounding faith, the incredible faith of Abraham. The Bible is clear. It's perfectly clear. It's crystal clear. It's absolutely clear that there are a couple of things involved in your salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen? But make no mistake, because the faith is a gift to you, the greater thing is God's grace. The faith is a gift to you. God gives that to you liberally. But the grace of God, he has to take the righteousness of Christ and put it into your account because he needs to show us unmerited favor when we actually deserve his justice and judgment. Amen? So the greater thing in that sense is the grace of God. Even though it comes to us by faith, which is a gift, the greater thing is God's grace. That's why we call his grace amazing. Amen? When we look at the grace of God, his unmerited favor towards us, and we realize he's also given us his mercy, which means he didn't give us what we actually earned or deserved, but he gave us what we didn't deserve. How that comes to you is faith, and that's a gift. So he gives you this wonderful faith expressed in Abraham's life. When you think about this chapter, it's an incredible illustration, of course. And when you think about the initial call of Abraham, now think of where he is. And because we're told so in Joshua chapter 24, Abraham, when he was called by God, get this, the Bible says, Abraham was an idolatrous pagan. He was an idolatrous pagan when he was called by God. He wasn't in seminary. He didn't own a Bible bookstore. He was not the pastor of a church. He knew zilch about the kingdom of God. He was an idolatrous pagan, but he had one thing. He had faith. God had given Abraham the gift of faith. And in spite of the fact that he lived in a terrible neighborhood, in a terrible city, in a terrible land, at a terrible time, and had terrible friends and terrible kids, his life was terrible in that sense. He was a pagan. He wasn't sitting around thinking about, you know, godly things all day, every day. He was in a pagan environment. Aren't you glad that God still works in pagan environments? Probably you were one of those pagan environments at some point in time, amen? Because when God found you, you were probably not exactly worthy of his attention. I know I wasn't. I'm glad he was looking after me because I wasn't really looking for him. But he found me. As he puts that call, Abraham, when he re first receives the call of God, he's already 75 years old. Now, I know getting up there in age as is, is I am, Connie's not, but I am, is, is I'm getting along in age, I start to look at things a little differently. And I, I've noticed when I, you know, it's like, I'm kind of a pretty aggressive skier. So when I ski, I like to, you know, I like to go fast. Now I'm starting to look at things not so much, I don't want to go fast anymore, I want to live. <laughs> so I, I kind of alter the way I do things, you know? So I'm, I'm not quite as big a risk taker. You'll see the same thing in your life, whereas when you're young in life, you're like, well, we can buy this house and fix it up, and then we can sell that one, we'll buy another one. When you get a little bit older, you're like, man, let's get rid of this house and get a smaller one so we have less to do. 
You see, as you get older, you really don't get a whole lot more adventuresome. But when Abraham receives the call, he's 75 years old, and God says, I want you to pack up your entire family, and I want you to travel more than a thousand miles on foot. He didn't say, I want you to go down and buy a plane ticket. He said, I want you to go to Canaan, a land that Scripture says he knew not. He didn't exactly know where he was going, and he surely didn't know what he was getting into. But he responded, even at that age, by faith. That promise gets reiterated to him, that he's going to be, his descendants will be as innumerable as the stars of heaven there in Genesis 15. And it was at that time that Abraham believed in the Lord And it was reckoned to him then as righteousness. So as Abraham, this well-advanced in years man, and his family begin this journey, it's not like they were sitting in Ur of the Chaldees going, you know, honey, I think we should move someplace we've never been. And oh, by the way, pack up everything, because we're going tomorrow. This took tremendous faith. He was probably quite happy being in his pagan environment, in a pagan city, in a pagan land. He knew no better at that point in time. But God had spoken into his life, and so he begins the journey as he heads towards Canaan. We don't know how God convinced Abram at this time. He's not Abraham yet. He's still Abram. We don't know how he convinced him, but we know he convinced him. This is a perfect picture of how God works in our lives. Can any of you think back on your salvation experience and think about what preceded it? What was going on in your life that precipitated you being at that place and time when you realized that you were a sinner, that you needed a Savior, and you gave your life to Jesus? Do you remember what was going on? There's all these little things that God is doing and he's kind of moving and pushing and prodding and poking and putting you into position so that that wonderful moment of contact where the Spirit speaks into your life places you ready to get a little seed of faith. Enough faith to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, up to that point in time, You were an idolatrous pagan. Now, maybe you were a young pagan. Maybe you were a middle-aged pagan. Maybe you were a senior citizen pagan when you came to Jesus. But what happened was God gave you the gift of faith at some point in time, and you believed. And it's true in Abraham's life. It's true in Abram's life. And I want you to notice something. He had to keep exercising faith. When you think about what was going on in his life, look what was going on with him. He gets to this promised land, and he encounters famine. Can you imagine you start a journey on foot that's going to take you more than a year, and you're going to travel up the Euphrates Valley? If you've seen pictures of Iraq you realize that almost the entire country is desert. And it's a sand desert. It's a real, just like the Mojave. It's like, it's wasteland for the most part. But the Euphrates River, the golden, the fertile crescent, the Tigris and the Euphrates come and they join, they flow down to roughly where the Chaldees is and then into what we call the Persian Gulf. And he goes from all the way down the south end of modern-day Iraq. He follows the Euphrates River up into what would have been modern-day Turkey, across through northern Turkey into northern Syria to Haran, which is in modern-day northern Syria, maybe even in Turkey. And then all the way down to what we call modern-day Israel. He's doing that on foot. It's It's not like he was going on a vacation to Maui. He's wandering through the desert along next to a river, so he's got water, and he's going to travel up into a mountainous region, and he's going to end up, and he's thinking, God promised me I'm going to the promised land, I'm going to the promised land. He gets to the promised land, and he's going to starve to death in the promised land. 
That area of the world was ruled by a hostile Pharaoh at that time. He encounters the, the hostility of Pharaoh. He ends up in a family conflict with Lot. He struggles in his own life with fear. He's afraid of everything. He's afraid of being not liked. He's afraid of what people think of him. He ends up becoming a kind of a pathological liar when it comes to his own family. <laughs> it's my sister. Then he lives in the land for a century. He's in Canaan for a century. And the only thing he ever ends up owning is he and Sarah's tomb. The cave at Malpeca. He doesn't own a thing. It's like this is not like a journey to prosperity. Forty years before the final promise is fulfilled, he's now 99 years old. That's a long time to wait. Any of you ever been praying about something and the second week that it's not answered, you're going, I, I quit. I'm like, so done praying for my parents. Pray for my kids. Makes you feel kind of weak when you look at Abraham's faith, right? The dude is 75 years old. He's now nearly 40 years older and he's still believing God. That somehow... God is going to keep the promise he made to him when he was still in Ur of the Chaldees. He trusts God for that. He and Sarah are like, they're probably looking at each other going, I don't know what to tell you, honey. I know he said it. You know, sometimes as husbands and wives, we have, you know, you have one or the other that has a little more faith about a particular thing. You ever notice how having faith can get you into arguments with your spouse? Well, that's great that you have that kind of, I don't have that kind of faith. I run into parents all the time. You got one that's praying for their children. The other one's like, well, you know, they, maybe they just need to go get run over by a truck and that'll help them. It's usually the guy that says that. Mom's over there believing God and the husband's going, ah, just kill him. I'll beat him. They'll learn then. You, you see... God wants us to have the kind of faith that says, look, I'm going to wait, God. You spoke, and I'm going to wait as long as it takes. And I'm going to keep believing as long as it takes. Through all that testing, Abraham remains faithful. Amazing. One of the great things about Abraham's life is that it is also a warning to us have any of you ever tried to help God out? Yeah. Isn't it crazy how we know God is speaking to us? And one of the ways that we can do that as believers is we have his word. Amen? So what it says, that's actually what he wants us to do. So let me, let me show you how this can work in your life. We're supposed to have patience. Amen? Amen? Because patience, when it has its perfect work, leaves you complete and lacking nothing. How many of us have tried to help God out by speeding things along instead of being patient? Taking matters into our own hands. You see, sometimes we look at Abraham and go, well, you know, I would have never done it. Sure you would. You may have done it a different way. But I think we're all guilty at times of trying to help God out. That's why Proverbs 14, and by the way, Proverbs 16 says exactly the same thing. So Solomon, wisest man in the world, says the same thing twice. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. One of the secrets to Abraham's faith is don't try and help God out. Because the Jewish people, remember, the Jewish people are of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Abraham Ishmael and Jacob. How did Abraham try and help God out with Hagar? What came from that helping God out? Ishmael, which is the father of all of the Arab peoples, the father of Islam, 
So Abraham's helping God out has produced a problem for the Jewish people, the rest of his seed, to this day. To this day. Don't kid yourself that there aren't consequences to trying to help God out. You want the history of it, here it is. Here's the history of trying to help God out by taking things into your own hand because you're not quite sure that it's going to work out the way God said. If God has spoken to you, then trust God and stand. You see, there is a way. It's quite possible. We don't know how the whole situation, but her Egyptian handmaid, Hagar, there in Genesis 16, Abraham's like, well, you know, is it me? You can imagine almost the family thinks, well, you know, Sarah, I think it's you. No, it's, it's you, Abraham. I, you know, we don't know. But we know this. We know exactly who it was when Abraham disobeyed God. And by the way, don't let Sarah too far off the hook because she was in on the whole thing too. Well, here's my handmaid. She made a rash decision. Don't make rash decisions. Continue to walk in faith and trust God. When Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, Abram is thinking, at last I got an heir. But it was an heir of sinful contriving. It, it was an heir of human sexuality. It was an heir of his flesh. It was not the heir of promise. And God had said, I will give you an heir of promise. It wasn't divinely provided. It wasn't of faith. It was of flesh. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So fortunately, God's nature doesn't change. Genesis 17 tells us the story. Look, he makes the promise again. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. He goes from being called exalted dad, exalted father, exalted daddy, to super father with a bunch of kids, and he still doesn't have any kids. So can you see the irony in all of this? You know, it's like God is saying to him, he's like, look, I'm good for my promises, what I say I will do. Abraham's probably shaking his head. He couldn't perceive how that promise could be fulfilled because now Sarah's 90, he's 100. He's thinking, man, it's got to be Ishmael. And he says, no, that's not the case. Can you imagine? Now you know why Sarah was laughing, why Isaac ends up with the name that means laughter. It's like, this is, this is like, are you kidding me moment? Or in Genesis 17, no, but you're... Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall give him the name Isaac, and and I will establish my covenant with him. Look, I'm not okay with you taking matters into your own hand. It's not going to work this way, Abraham. This has got to go down my way. And so let's reset this. And what a profound lesson this is for us to learn. An incredible lesson. Human effort to affect the will of God is never a good thing. If you've got to make it happen with your flesh, then at the very best, you will never know whether God was in it at all. And at the very worst, you may find out that God was not in it at all. You may not know, but God may actually let you experience the fact, I was never in this, Jeff. And I can tell you where I see that very frequently. It's in marital relationships. I can't tell you how many couples I'm like, you know, are you really sure? Oh, yeah, we love each other. But why don't we come in and meet a few times and let's do some premarital counseling and let's kind of see where you guys are with the Lord. Oh, that's not necessary. We love each other. Well, it'll only take six weeks. No, we need to get married right now. We're going to Vegas. Something there's kind of telling me it's like, mm, this is not a good idea. You sure you don't? No, we don't have time. 
you know, when I met him in that bar, I mean, he was... You're helping God out. You're trying to accomplish in the flesh what for believers, when two people come to me and they say, we're both Christians, my response to them is, let's do things God's way. Because if you want his blessings, you need to do things his way. Any other way, it's not going to work out as well as you would like it to believe, like to believe. Human effort outside of God's blessings commands is always wrong, folks. Even if it's for the purpose of keeping his commands. Did you hear what I said? You can even try and keep God's commands with the flesh. You know how we know that? The children of Israel. They thought that the keeping of the law, they thought that just the scriptures themselves was enough to make them right with God when God was after their hearts, not after keeping the law, not after all the temple sacrifices and ceremonies. He wasn't looking at that. He was looking at their hearts all along. Say, well, we'll keep this really rigidly. But you can be rigidly religious and still not righteous. Don't try and help God out. Walk by faith. Find out where God God is at work in your life and join him. Don't try and force your will upon his. You submit to his will. We submit to his will. Paul actually warned the Galatian believers against the the, the legalistic Judaizers. It's It's a picture for us there in Galatians 4. You see, they were telling Christians, people who'd been set free by faith, Believing in God and his grace being applied. He was saying, they were saying to him, look, you need to keep the Mosaic law. Galatians 4, it says this, verse 21 to 23. Tell me, you who want to be under the law. Do you listen to the law? And by the way, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is they, they heard it, but what he was getting at was a lot deeper than using the ear. It was, did it get to your heart? Do you really listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and the other by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. You see, he's saying, look, he who the son is set free is free indeed. Don't entangle yourself again in the law. Don't try and complete. He'd already told him in chapter 3. He says, look, don't try and perfect in the flesh that which begun in the spirit. It can't happen. Some things from the rest of this. First, we see the analysis of the faith of Abraham. It's a beautiful picture. There's actually seven things. Verse 18, who being contrary to hope, in hope believed. The the faith of Abraham is is here in view for us. And the first thing that we see is that hope against hope in which he believed. You see, faith and hope are always coupled together. But look at it this way. That that hope, as in the case of this particular passage, is in the way he's explaining it here, hope in something that may or may not occur. And from God's perspective, there is no such thing as may or may not occur. What God says, he is faithful to complete unto the day of Christ Jesus. So hope in this sense may or may not be true. But faith is a firm confidence. It's an absolute confidence. It is a complete expectancy that what God said, God's going to do. So be careful that you're not kind of wishful thinking about the things of God. That's what this particular word for hope means in its context. Don't be wishful thinking about the things of God. Express faith towards the things of God. That's what Abraham does. He said, in that hope against hope, he believed 
The secret there is he believed God. In spite of the hope against hope, he believed God. He expressed faith. A second thing. Abraham believed God without becoming weak in faith. In other words, he didn't allow his doubts and his fears to cloud and and to undermine that faith with unbelief. Now, does that mean that he was perfect? No, it does not. Abraham had been trusting God for 25 years, and the whole 25 years he's acknowledging God. And by the time Isaac comes on the scene, he's going to be near 100 years old. Isaac's going to turn one. Abraham's going to turn a hundred. You see, he believed in spite of the weakness of his faith, he didn't let that weakness undermine the faith itself. An awful lot of Christians, the moment they begin to doubt, they go all the way the other way. They say, I'm just going to, I don't know about this faith thing. Don't let that be you. We find no miracles in Abraham's life. We we don't find that he saw anybody raised from the dead. Yet he firmly believed that the Lord was capable of doing such things. He didn't let the weakness, the meagerness, the small seed of faith. He didn't let his own faults and failures, because remember, he's got some of them. It wasn't like he lived a perfect life. It's one of the beauties of Scripture. It kind of exposes us to the frailties of the human beings that were involved in the the biblical narrative. When you look at the biblical narrative, you don't find a single perfect person in there, do you? Doesn't that give you some confidence that God can do that same work in you? It should. A third thing. Abraham's faith kept him from becoming totally discouraged. Anybody suffer with a little bit of discouragement from time to time? I, I can tell you, I talked to, I talk to more than a dozen different pastors today. And several of them expressed discouragement. Things aren't going the way I wished at church. And there's, you know, these people are having problems with this person. There's stuff going on. There's discouragement. But in Abraham's case... He had enough faith to keep him from becoming so discouraged that his own natural weaknesses were going to win. Faith is that thing that fights your flesh, folks. That's where that battle is waged. Faith overcomes your flesh. Keeps those weaknesses from becoming too powerful. Look, his, his physical power was gone, amen? The dude's old. What God has promised in a, in a physical sense, it's like, it is not happening. So it would have been easy for Abraham to look at that and say, well, I don't have enough faith to get over that. But where he might have been tempted to trust in his own flesh, instead he leaned more on the faith that God had given him. The same picture in Noah, amen? You ever thought about Noah's faith? Sometimes we, we so focus on Abraham. Have you thought about Noah's faith? He built the ark for 120 years. And the whole world had never seen rain. God tells him it's going to rain. Okay, God, you say so. Man, you talk about being discouraged. We're building a ship. There is no sea. It's never rained. We're in the middle of nowhere, and people are laughing at us every day. Man, it would be easy to let discouragement creep in and wipe out that little seed of faith. But that faith was sufficient that like Noah, Abraham said, I'm trusting you, God. You said it so. I believe you. Take my discouragement and deal with it by your faith. Before it started to rain, before the ark began to float, Noah, by faith, Hebrews 11 says, being warned by God about these things that he had not yet seen, in reverence prepared the ark. He said, God, I... Man, I'm kind of not okay with this getting mocked every day thing. But I'll be mocked. 
I'll be ridiculed. I'll be made fun of. I'll have my whole family against me, but I'm trusting you. That kind of faith overcomes doubt. A fourth thing. Abraham didn't doubt God's promise when those circumstances around him made the fulfillment seem utterly impossible. His own age, Sarah's age, the deadness of Sarah's womb, as it says here, maybe for you, it's a medical diagnosis. Maybe for you, it's some financial difficulty. Maybe for you, it's your home. Maybe for you, it's your marriage. Maybe for you, it's a family situation. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's the neighborhood you live in. There's something in your life about which you can say, I I just don't know how God's going to do this. The answer to that is not more of you, it's more of him. The answer to that is more God. Because you don't have enough to fix it. Look, when you got cancer, there's not a lot you can do about it, amen? You've got a massive financial difficulty that has come upon you. It's no fault of your own. You know, unless you've got a printing press down there in the old basement that none of us have. And even then, you're going to get found out. It's not going to fix it anyway. You're just going to have another problem called prison. <laughs> you see, there are things that come in our lives that are God-sized problems that take God-sized faith. It's in view in his life. A fifth thing, with respect to the promise that's been made. Notice that Abraham doesn't waver in unbelief. Notice it doesn't say that he doesn't have a bit of doubt. It doesn't say he doesn't have some human fears. It doesn't say at any point in time he didn't have a little unbelief that crept in there. But that term wavering in unbelief means he did not swing there and stay there. He never went all the way to that place of doubt. He didn't vacillate all the time back and forth between the two. One of our problems as human beings is we like to have answers and we like to have them now, amen? And when we don't get those answers the way we think they ought to come, then we're tempted to believe that maybe we think the wrong thing, so we start thinking the other way. That is a recipe for you to be beat up by the enemy. If you believe God has spoken to you, then stand on the promises of God. Don't vacillate. Because if you vacillate enough, you'll eventually stick over there in the unbelief. You've got to stay where God has put you in that place of believing and trusting. When things seem impossible, it... Look, it's easier to disbelieve God and take up your own hammer. Amen? Isn't it? Isn't it? It's easier for you to take matters into your own hands. It really is. And we actually feel good about it at times, right? It's like, well, at least I'm doing something. You'll actually hear people say, well, at least I'm doing something. When you're not sure and God hasn't spoken in the thing that you, you've put your hands to, but he's told you he's going to do it some other way, trust him. Because what you're doing is actually creating something else that he is going to have to take care of. You've got to stay there. Abraham openly admitted before God that he didn't understand. It's okay for you to openly admit before God, God, I don't understand. Because he understands that you don't understand. And he loves you. God gets that you need more faith, and so do I. You see, struggling faith is not doubt. Did you hear what I said? Struggling faith is not doubt. Just like temptation is not sin. Struggling faith is just faith that's struggling. You need to ask God to undergird that struggling faith and turn it into strong faith. Just like you have to ask God to take that temptation and deal with your flesh so that you do not sin. It's the same process. 
When Abraham was tested by God, he actually grew stronger in his faith. Because he let those weaknesses that he admitted to God he had be dealt with by the work of the Spirit in his life. A sixth thing. And this is tough. It's characterized by giving glory to God. That's the faith of Abraham. Faith in God affirms the character of God. That's why we worship, brothers and sisters. We worship God because he's worthy to be worshipped. We worship the Lord because he's the only being in the whole universe that's worthy of that praise. When your faith is being tested, praise the Lord. Ask God to give you greater faith. Affirm his character. Tell him you trust him. Rest in it. Look, remember, you remember King Nebuchadnezzar? He orders Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to worship the golden image, right? What did they do? At risk of their own death, they say, we're going to worship God. Real faith worships God in tough times. What were Paul and Silas doing? Worshiping God. They're in prison. When you've got a prison situation in your life, try worshiping the Lord. Give him honor. Praise the Lord, I don't know how you're going to get me out of this. I don't know what you're going to do. But you know what? I trust you. Your character is impeccable. And I'm going to praise you in spite of what I see in front of me. The Apostle Paul himself, remember his whole trip as he's sailing across to go to Rome? Those travelers are all in this boat. They're all hucking stuff overboard. Pretty soon there's nothing left. Cargo's over. The tackle's over. They're floundering. Everyone but Paul gave up. Every last, God, you put me on this ship, you're going to get me to shore. Those circumstances could have weakened Paul's trust, but they didn't. On the seventh and, and final thing, Abraham was fully persuaded, fully persuaded that that promise was certain and God's power was sufficient. Notice what it says, being fully assured that he had promised and he is able to perform. That's assurance. That's one of the things that comes to us when we trust God. You see, because if you're trusting your own work to get you to heaven, you are never going to have assurance. You're not. I remember when, when Pope Benedict was asked about salvation. He was asked whether he was going to go to heaven. He was being interviewed on television and his response stunned me. He said, I hope so. Do you know why that is? Because he was resting in work. Something that he could do. Something that he had done. And he actually went on to articulate that. He says, well, I think I've been, you know, done lots of things right. And I just hope God accepts me. Look, that's not the kind of assurance that's taught in Scripture. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the throne of grace. It's not about you. It never has been. It's always been about God's ability. And so he says, look, God made the promise. God is able. I'm not able to keep myself. His grace that saves is his grace that keeps Amen? Rest in that. The application of this faith. You, you see, God responds to it, and he says, therefore it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And that's really the crux of this whole passage. God's response to this faith that's not perfect in Abraham. Can we all agree Abraham's faith wasn't perfect? Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
Because if Abraham's faith had been... Can you imagine if you're reading your Bible and every single thing that Abraham should have done worked out perfectly and Abraham was like this unbelievable example of never making a mistake? Would you be bummed sitting here right now? I would. I'd be going, man, if I have to emulate that kind of faith, if that's what's got to happen for righteousness to be imputed to me, I'm in trouble. But instead you see a man who's got lots of faults, all kinds of weaknesses, imperfect faith, but he always resorts to back to faith. He says, look, at the end of the day, I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to trust God. He tried to help God out a few times. God gave him enough faith to even overcome that, amen? Keeps his promises, even though Abraham, maybe we would look at it and go, you know, I'd have gotten me a new father of the nation. You know, kind of like Adam and Eve. I often say, it's like, you know, look, I would have just gotten a new Adam and Eve. That's how I would have solved their little problem in the garden. Me being God, Jeff's God, God's not God anymore, Jeff's God, in the garden, I get a new Adam and Eve. Well, we'll just start over. Let's get this right. Right? Little mulligan. They're in the tee box. You slice it. It goes off in the next fairway. We'll just tee up another ball. Same thing with Abraham. He gets to the promised land, starts belly aching, whining about the famine, lying about his wife. Okay, dude, you're going to have a heart attack. I'm getting me a new father of the multitude. But what does God do? God responds to Abraham's neediness with more faith. says, Abraham, what you need is not freedom from all these conditions. What you need is more faith to meet those conditions head on and to stand firm. Trust God. And so this faith that we see in this passage gets applied. It's a beautiful picture of our lives, your life, my life. These things, it says, were written for our sake also whom it will be reckoned. Just as it was for Abraham, by the way. Your life before the Lord is being reckoned by faith. Not by your works, by faith in Jesus Christ. You're placing your trust, your hope, your faith in Him. That little smidgen of faith, that seed of faith, however you want to say it. That little bit of faith that was a gift to you to believe. When you exercise that faith and you stand in that faith, that is sufficient for the righteousness of Christ to be taken from his account and to place into yours and your sins to be removed from yours and totally forgiven, a sponge done away with at the cross. Hallelujah. Amen? Because if it's any other way, It's on you. Who could, Paul would be right, who can be saved? If it's not by grace and through faith, who can be saved? It wouldn't have been Abraham. His works were a mess. It wouldn't have been Noah. Because he comes off the ark, what does he do? He turns into a stoner. He's a full-on alcoholic. Jacob, he lies about, I'm Esau. Right? You see the picture throughout Scripture? You don't see anybody that's perfect. You don't see anybody that does the right thing every time. Now, should we try? Absolutely. But faith makes up for your failures. Faith bridges that gap. The cross spans that by faith. That's why it's a necessary condition. That's why Jesus focused on believe in me and you shall have eternal life, right? He didn't say if you do this, 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 and this, and you do them perfectly the whole time that you're on earth, you know, you, you never use any language that you shouldn't ever use. You never drink, smoke, or cuss. 
I remember this funny story. I was with our youth pastor, our Baptist church, and he sat me down because he'd seen me hanging around with some, you know, I had some hair. He'd seen me hanging around with some unsavory kind that also had hair. And he said, you know, you can always tell who's going to hell because they drink, they smoke, and they cuss. And I thought to myself, wow, that's the whole church. (laughs) Think about it. Praise God that we're saved by faith. Results in God's grace. Amen? Now, I didn't just tell you to go drink, smoke, and cuss, okay? (laughs) But the point is, look, people believe in all kinds of things. They have hope in all kinds of things. You don't believe that? Do a little Google search for belief systems. Just do that. Belief systems. People believe in all kinds of things that are absolutely monumentally nonsensical. Hindus believe that the whole world sits on the back of an elephant. Scientologists believe that we all got here because aliens came and deposited people inside of a volcano and it blew up. Buddhists believe that eventually if you get reincarnated enough times, you'll eventually be snuffed out and become part of the cosmic oneness. You see, people have faith in all kinds of stuff. I know, I talk to people, it's like, oh yeah, I read my horoscope. You're a Christian, aren't you? Yeah, but I always read my horoscope. I'm like, why? (laughs) Well, you never know. Kind of hedging my bet. It's like, why don't you trust God with that? People talk about being enlightened. And yet the light of the world came to this world so we wouldn't have to worry about it. So we could walk by faith and not by sight that we would have the capacity to not deceive ourselves and to be his kids. You see, it's not just modern educated people that had a problem with faith. Noah had a problem with faith. Abraham had a problem with faith. Paul had a problem with faith. Peter sure had a problem with faith. Amen? Oh, Lord, I'll never deny you. Not until 10 minutes from now. I love Peter. You just, you have to love the guy. He's not supposed to be at the campfire. He's sitting around the campfire. He's standing where he's not supposed to stand, with people he's not supposed to be with. And he gets shouted down by a little servant girl. Peter, the dude with the sword that lops off Malchus's ear. Oh, they'll never get to you, Lord. Aren't you one of the disciples? I didn't know the dude. Praise God we're saved by grace and through faith. Amen? Not just being right all the time. God's unmerited favor. That simple confession, that repentance that leads to forgiveness, to the imputation of Christ's righteousness taken out of his account, your sin account completely emptied. Can you imagine? Jesus just takes all the sin out of your account. And no matter what you put back into it, it's all still coming out because he's sufficient for your past sin, your present sin today, and your future sin. That's how great his forgiveness is. That's how great the propitiation is for your sin. It was paid yesterday, today, and forever. So let's exercise that astounding faith. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we, Lord, if we had to make our own way if we had to come up with our own plan if we had to do something beyond believing 
beyond simple expression of that faith and, and, and meaning it, Lord. We don't want our faith to seem that it's trite because it's not. We believe in the true and the living God. We believe that you, Jesus, God's only Son, came to this earth and that you lived sinlessly the way we couldn't live. You did live and you died for us so that we might be set free. We believe that, Lord, and we want to walk in the faith that expresses that truth in our daily living. Or we want to be as close to sinless as we can possibly be. We want to be as error-free as we can possibly be. But we recognize that we desperately need faith. Would you give us astounding faith? Faith like Abraham. Faith like Noah. Faith like Paul. Lord, would we have the kind of faith that dares to trust you in difficult moments? That always leans on you even when we don't know how it's all going to turn out? We're doing that for our eternity. And we pray that you'd help us to do that in our daily lives. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And we ask all this in the name that's above every name. The name of Jesus. Amen.